Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. All right. Welcome, everyone, in podcast land. On this week's episode, we talk about Mac event rumors, what to expect before Apple's peak performance event next week. We talk about the Valve Steam Deck. Valve has finally launched its brand new handheld gaming PC, and reviewers are kind of loving it. And we talk about rumors the company Nothing is coming out with their first phone next month in April. All right. On to topic number one. There's been rumors floating around for some time. Um, You know, we've mentioned it a few times, and actually we were thinking about doing this topic last week on last week's episode, but we thought the event hasn't actually been announced yet. There's just a rumor going around that it's going to happen on March 8th. Maybe we'll hold off until next weekend. It has officially been announced. Apple is having their peak performance event on March 8th, 2022. So rumors that are going around, it's going to mainly be about the iPhone SE3. We're going to get the newest chip, so the A15 chip, and it's going to come with 5G support. Also, we're going to get an update to the iPad Air. It's going to have the same design as the most recent iPad Air, but also probably going to get the new A15 chip, going to get 5G. But yeah, those are the two main things that are kind of guaranteed by most of the leakers like Mark Gurman, like John Prosser. There's a few maybes floating around in the air. One maybe is an update to the Mac Mini. And people are unsure about what, I guess, the biggest update will be. There's going to be a a bit of a redesign, maybe a little bit slimmer than the last one. But there's also uncertainty whether or not it's going to come with an M1 Pro chip, possibly an M1 Max chip. Or some people are saying they're going to debut the M2 chip in this Mac Mini. There's also rumors that there might be a new external display from Apple, sort of like the Pro Display XDR, but I guess not a Pro. There's also rumors we could get a 13-inch MacBook Pro, but this would be an entry-level one. So the old design, like the Touch Bar design, hopefully they don't bring the Touch Bar back after Mm -hmm. they just got rid of it, but this won't have the M1 Pro or the M1 Max. They're actually there's actually a rumor that it's going to have the m2 chip but yeah it's kind of all of the rumors that at least at this point have been pretty solidified in the maybes there were talks that you know people were saying we might get a 24 inch imac with the m2 chip we might get an imac pro but it seems like at least at this point you know less than a week out from the event it seems like those are off the table from the leakers that are reported on it. Yeah, it's this is a cool one because well, first of all, it seems like I'm I was wrong. I, I think we talked about in the past about the potential of there being an updated iPad Air. And I was like, I don't know if there's gonna be an updated iPad Air this soon because it feels like the iPad Air was just announced. But uh there was rumors indicating that that was gonna be the case and it seems like those rumors are becoming more solidified. Um, with this peak performance event. So I think you might be right. And it makes sense to talk about an iPad Air with a very anticipated, on my part, um, 
a look at the next iPhone SE. Uh, and if they're going to be running the same chip, there's probably going to be a lot of the same kind of marketing material around those two devices. I think that's uh, great. I think that's makes a lot of sense in terms of the theme of the event. But also, uh, it's it makes sense to show the SE now, uh, get it in line with the current range of processors so that when the next iPhone comes out, it doesn't seem out of place uh, when they announce the new, you know, A16 or whatever chip they bring out next uh, in their phones because uh, it's going to feel like, okay, well, we already talked about the SE. It doesn't need to be a part of the end of the year event where they announce their flagship phones. Um, and then it also creates a little bit of separation between the flagship and the SE because when the SE first came out, there was so little separation that it kind of, I think, hurt the, the iPhone 12 mini, I think it was, um, at the time because the 12 mini was so expensive compared to the SE and it just kind of seemed like it made more sense to get the SE with, you know, very similar specs. So I think this, this is great. This adds a little bit more separation and if they can keep the price around the same, I think that's fantastic. Now we have talked about the, the SE in the past that, okay, they might be looking at the, you know, the iPhone eight plus kind of design, uh, which is a little bit disappointing to me. I would have hoped they would have taken the, they would have finally given up that design and maybe taken the iPhone 10 R kind of design, um, for the SE. I think that would have been a really cool idea, but I, it does seem like the rumors are pointing towards, you know, maintaining that iPhone six, seven, eight style design, uh, with the new version of, of the SE, but the plus variant. So a little bit larger screen, uh, which is still kind of cool. I think that's still a great phone design, uh, albeit maybe a little bit outdated these days, but if the specs are there, that's all that matters. Uh, and then f going on for what might happen, the new displays. I think this is something that I would be really excited to see Apple do. I was a big fan of the, what are they called? IMAX, the, the IMAX with the new designs, the new M1 IMAX. And I, I really was hoping that they would bring a display with that similar design or their, their just standalone displays kind of to give another option other than the, the Pro Display XDR, which is so expensive. And it seems like they might do that. And the rumors are they might even have a few options, maybe a 24 uh, and a 27 inch and maybe even a 32 inch that will be a little bit cheaper than uh, what we we expect from the Pro, Dis Pro Display XDR. Maybe not as performant, uh, but still, you know, uh, a good option for, you know, someone who wants to get a Mac Mini or something like that, but wants to keep that nice minimalist Apple design. And then speaking of the Mac Mini, the idea that we might see an update to the Mac Mini, to me, that's great. They never really redesigned the Mac Mini. They kept the design, same thing with Air and the initial MacBook Pros from before M1. So to see a fully designed Mac Mini for M1 from the ground up would be cool. I would imagine it would be a lot smaller because it doesn't need as much space, maybe quieter. But uh, yeah, that's that's a really cool thing. The only thing I really, really hope they do is they keep the ports. To me, the Mac Mini port selection is one of the best things about it. And I hope that's not something they abandon because we have seen some rumors around what they might be doing with their cheaper machines, like their updated MacBook Airs, you know, making them very minimalist and like only having one port. I hope they don't do that with the Mac Mini, but we'll have to wait and see. As of 
more than that. I don't know if we will see much more than that. I think Apple likes the idea of having multiple events in the year. Uh, one dedicated for Apple Silicon, one dedicated for the iPhone and stuff like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe this is the smaller event for the year. We get a bigger one later on for, you know, the redesigned MacBooks. And then uh, the biggest one at the end of the year for the new iPhones. But yeah, I think the the Air, the SE, and the displays might be the focus of, of, of this event. One thing that I'm a bit disappointed to hear is that it doesn't seem like they're going to redesign the MacBook Air. I really like the MacBook Air. I like the current MacBook Air, even though, you know, much like, much like the Mac Mini, much like the original MacBook Pro that had M1 in it, the MacBook Air wasn't redesigned at all. They just said, oh, okay, we got a bunch of these old chassis laying around. Let's put our new chip in it. Apple Silicon, there you go, brand new laptop. There were some rumors going around before that, okay, hey, we are going to redesign our MacBook Air to look like the iPhone 13, the iPhone 12, the iPad Air, the iPad Pro, you know, with a more boxy, squared off design, mm-hmm. which I think would look really good on the MacBook Air. But it seems like that either, I'm not going to say completely canceled. I'm sure at some point they'll redesign it, but it doesn't seem like it's coming to this event, at least from the rumors and from the leakers. But I definitely, I definitely think the iPhone SE 3, it would be a good addition to their lineup. I haven't heard any rumors, or I guess I haven't heard any rumors lately about it being the plus variant, I've still heard that it's going to resemble the, you know, the iPhone 8, 7, 6, mm-hmm. but just regular size one. Because mm. when you compare an iPhone 8 plus, let's say, to a current generation iPhone, it seems very large yeah. and very heavy and you don't get that much screen. Like, yeah, compared to, let's say, an iPhone 8 plus compared to an iPhone 12 or 13 or even an 11. It's such a big, bulky, non-modern looking phone. And for someone like Apple, who would care so much about the design and the aesthetics of their devices and their phones, for them to go to a plus version, that's like, eh, you're really stretching it now. Yeah, that's a um, good point. But I mean, hey, we'll see. We'll see what ends up happening. We'll see what ends up being the case, as always. These are just rumors that are circulating around. But I guess out of all of the things that they're announcing, the things that interest me the most, probably a Mac Mini, whether or not it has an M2 chip or an M1 Pro, M1 Max, I'd be interested in an updated Mac Mini. I think when the original M1 came out in Mac Mini, we both liked that one the best. We felt that was the best value proposition. So I'd be interested to see what they do with this recent or more recent update. And also the external display, because, you know, kind of as I just said, Apple is very, they care a lot about the design of their products and the aesthetic of their stuff. And so if you wanted an Apple screen to match with your, let's say your Mac mini, a lot of times for their advertisements, they would have it next to a pro display XDR, which is like a $5,000 screen next to a $500 computer, which is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Um, even if we were just talking about, okay, I have a MacBook Air or a MacBook Pro and I want an extra display, but I don't want to spend the price of my laptop on an extra display. I just, you know, want a display that matches everything else. Like you said, 
a display that would match your your iMac, right? So I think this would be a great move from Apple. I can see it doing very, very well. I can see it being very successful. Even if you take the exact same iMac display, the same, the same iMac design, and you just take out the M1 chip in it, I think that would do amazing for them. Yeah. But I guess out of all of these things, out of all of the products that are maybes, or all the products that, you know, quote unquote announced and all of the maybes, what are you most interested in? And then also, if you could have one thing that you want to see this event, what would be that one thing that you're like, man, I wish they have a surprise at the end and this is what it ends up being? Well, yeah, honestly, the, the thing I'm most interested in is I want to see if they can maintain the price of the iPhone SE and the Mac Mini. Um, while giving them an update. To me, that's going to be a huge indicator on the future of Apple's strategy. Because when the Mac Mini was first announced, it was kind of shocking how affordable it was for the performance that you were getting compared to the MacBook Pros, which just wasn't something that we've seen in the past. So, and the SE is the same way. You know, it's a, it's a great phone. The current one is a, a fantastic small phone with, you know, a great processor the only downside to it would be its battery, which is a kind of a great compromise to make for the price that you're paying. Uh, so yeah, th that would be something I'm really excited to see. Um, and then obviously the displays. I think the displays is probably something that might interest me into buying uh, simply because I love the design of the of the, the iMacs. I, I think they look great. I know it's a little bit of a controversial design, but it really speaks to me. Problem with them for me is they are overpriced and lack ports. So for me, my Halo product that Apple could announce and show would definitely be an affordable display uh, with a similar design to the to the uh, IMAX and with just a larger screen. Now, I don't think that they're going to be affordable. Um, quite frankly, I think they'll probably be somewhere in the two thousand dollar price range for just like a a smaller version, which would be crazy to think because, you know, it would be great to have like a $500 Apple display, but they're probably not going to make that. Uh, they have had a cinema display in the past and they have had displays that are around the thousand dollar price point. So maybe they could try to hit that again, but you know, who knows? But yeah. And then honestly, I don't think we'll see it in this event, but what I really, really want to see hopefully in the next event is we do see that updated iMac Pros and stuff like that and kind of see the future of what's uh, what's going to happen there and maybe even some announcements of the Mac Pro the you know big uh processor I, I think a lot of people who are in that ecosystem would love to hear Apple say they're going to continue to support that and maybe uh give more options in terms of uh, add-on peripherals or even say hey we're going to release another version of that with intel processors because for people who really need that um i think it would really ease their mind to know that hey we're not just going to abandon this because we're making our own processors my predictions they never do that <laughs> they completely abandon everything else only apple silicone moving forward and i would say that updated ipad air is coming for sure mm coming for sure i'd bet on it yeah i don't know what i would bet but i bet something on it i mean you'd be 100 percent right because you've been saying that for a while now 
Um, and I've been like, no, I don't think it's going to happen. So it's going to be interesting <laughs> when it finally does. Cause it seems like, yeah, it's actually going to happen. Or it'll be interesting if it doesn't. You're like, yeah, I told you so. <laughs> All right. And our second topic of the podcast, one that's very exciting to me, uh, Valve has finally launched the Steam Deck. And the way that they launched it is they announced that, hey, if you pre-ordered this, you're going to start receiving emails soon. Uh, and you're going to be able to finally order your Steam Deck and you'll get it within a couple of days. I believe people started receiving them as of this Monday. March the 1st is when people started to receive them and reviews started to go out. The embargoes were lifted. And like I mentioned on last week's podcast, the reviews were kind of all over the place, especially initially. Some outlets really, really loved it. Some were kind of disappointed. And one of the main reasons is the this is a pretty ambitious product from Valve. Uh, in case you're not aware of what the Steam Deck is, it is a handheld gaming PC that uh, Valve has made and it comes with Steam loaded on it, but it doesn't run Windows. It runs a version of Linux called SteamOS. And essentially what it's doing is it's emulating DirectX, which is the major kind of API that Windows uses for uh, games and graphics and stuff like that. Uh, But the problem is most of these games aren't designed to run on Linux. So Valve has been working on this thing called Proton for years, which is a compatibility compatibility layer similar to kind of Apple's Rosetta, which allows uh, their old x86 apps to run on the new M1 processors. What Proton does is it allows Windows DirectX-based games to run on Linux with little to no work uh, done on those games. Now, it's not nearly as uh, effective as as Rosetta because unfortunately emulating games is a lot more difficult. But Valve said that they wanted to eventually have almost every single Steam game available to be emulated by Proton. And this was their main mission with this product. The problem with that is, and I think where it kind of uh, frustrated some reviewers is that this is not a finished product. Unfortunately, as cool as the Steam Deck is, and I personally love it, I'll get into that a bit later, but unfortunately, as cool as it is, the vast majority of Steam games are not compatible with Proton yet, and I think that's to be expected. The Steam launches close to 10,000 games a year, like a ridiculous amount of games a year. It's impossible to get that all translated in such a short amount of time, but the amazing thing is that Games like Elden Ring that just came out, uh, you know, Resident Evil, all of these really cool games that are new and contemporary are running on this little handheld. Something that, you know, we haven't really seen in the past of just really AAA games running on a handheld gaming PC. It's kind of like a, a brand new world. So just to go over quickly some of the main specs of this. So this is, like I mentioned, a handheld gaming PC. It has two joysticks on it, full-size joysticks, unlike the Switch. Um, But it has a similar kind of Switch design. Uh, It has, you know, the screen in the middle, obviously, and then two kind of controllers on either side. They're not detachable like the Switch. But like I mentioned, they do have full-size joysticks. They do have the A, B, X, Y buttons and, you know, a D-pad. And they also have touchpads. So... These touchpads allow you to do things like use mouse support for games that don't control, uh, don't support controllers. 
Uh, and also for, you know, navigating the, the UI. You can use a mouse, you can scroll and stuff like that. And there's two touchpads on either side. And, you know, it also has rumble and all this stuff. And then on the back, it has these programmable buttons that you can use to assign to different features uh, and different actions depending on the game that you're playing. And every game, you can customize your controller to meet whatever specifications that you need because the reality is, as much as this may look like a Switch, it's very, very different from a Switch. This is a PC at the end of the day. It's not a console. It's not a, you know, a closed ecosystem where everything is going to be specifically designed to play on that device. The Steam Deck, these games are designed to play on a PC where some people might use a controller. Some people might use a mouse and keyboard. Uh, and this device is made to be able to accommodate all of those people. So, you know, this has led to people who really love PC gaming really shocked by how open and and just available this thing is for you to do whatever you want with. You see, I've already seen people install things like the Epic Game Store on it and, you know, play whatever games that they want from the Epic Game Store that they can. Uh, and then, but I've also seen on the flip side, a lot of people who've been really annoyed by the fact that mm, the software might be a bit buggy or might be a little bit unfinished uh, compared to what you would expect from like a PlayStation 5 or a Nintendo Switch experience. Uh, things can break things. You can literally break the game if you wanted to. If you wanted to remove files or, you know, uh, one of the biggest complaints is battery life. If you wanted to run a game at 60 frames per second uh, at, you know, high settings and the game can, can actually run like that on the Steam Deck, you could use up your battery in as little as 90 minutes. But it's because you have the control of doing all that. And I think for, for some people who might be used to a console experience, that can be a little bit of annoying because you kind of want that stuff calculated for you. But yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I'm super excited to see what the future of this device is. Uh, my question to you is, have you seen any of the Steam Deck at all? What do you think of it? And is it something you would ever consider yourself actually using? I've seen quite a few reviews of it and I'm definitely I'm definitely optimistic on it and I could see myself at some point playing one. Mm -hmm. I don't know about owning one myself. But I definitely like the route that they're going. My biggest complaint about it and you kind of you touched on this a bit when you were when you were speaking, right? Is that it's not a console. It's a PC. And my only worry, I guess, with this is for what it is, it's amazing. A handheld gaming PC, that's amazing. The fact that we can even like say that, a handheld gaming PC. But because of the form factor that it's taken, and because it's so similar to a Nintendo Switch, I feel like a lot of people will get it and think, oh, this is a console like the Switch. It's a portable console like the Switch or like the DS or like a Game Boy, mm -hmm. you know, but not realize, I guess, one, the limitations on it in terms of, you know, performance. And then also not understanding that, you know, compatibility, like you mentioned, because for a closed ecosystem, like a regular console, like a PlayStation, like a Nintendo Switch, you can't play games that aren't specifically designed for that console. 
right? So you can't, I don't know, let's say you, you had a version of Elden Rings, or let's say you had a version of Cyberpunk 2077 that you, you, bought, a, you bought a copy of online, you know, from, this, from the Steam store, let's say. You couldn't then play that on your Nintendo Switch and then have it crash and then have it be buggy or be drop in frames or freezing on you because Nintendo Switch hasn't cleared it for their system. Developers haven't designed it for the Nintendo Switch. And so both parties kind of, okay, Nintendo doesn't make their console look bad because it's not trying to play this game that is that it is severely underpowered to play, but also people who make cyberpunk don't look bad because it's okay hey there's a lot of people that may only experience cyberpunk on a switch and then they're gonna have a bad experience and they're gonna think our game is bad when really it's just the console that's bad mm -hmm. but because the steam deck is a game in pc you could try to play any game you want on it oh well, not any game you know there's some games that you let's say can't even install on it or get on it but you can try and play anything and the this i don't even i don't want to call it a console cuz it's not a console and the steam deck will do its best to play it it will work to the best of its abilities but it you know it just may not have the facilities for that you know so that's my only worry is that because we've seen good press about it do we get to the point where there's there begins to be more hype around it. There begins to be more, you know, good press about it. And then more people get it, maybe as opposed to a Nintendo Switch, as opposed to a PlayStation 5 or Xbox, thinking that this is a, a game in console. I can buy games for it. I can play games on it. And it's going to work fine. There's not going to be any bugs or any hiccups. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to try and play something like a Cyberpunk, maybe like an Elden Rings, maybe like a Control. And then they're going to have a bad experience. And then that's going to kind of, that's going to sour the, the Steam Deck in their mind, in their image. So I guess that's my only drawback about the Steam Deck overall. I think the concept is great. I think just the sheer fact that, like I said, you have a handheld portable gaming PC. I think that is amazing. But the only worry I have is that they will at some point start attracting people outside of the gaming PC audience who won't understand that, no, this is a gaming PC, not this is a handheld gaming PC, not a handheld gaming console. And those are two very different things and you need to have different expectations for them. But yeah, I think... I'm definitely looking forward to, you know, seeing how this is received by the public at large. I definitely would like to see one in person, you know, maybe even play one in person. But I'm a little bit uh, apprehensive with my optimism right now and how successful it's going to be just because I feel like they could get to the point where they're, they're almost their publicity is too big for them. Mm. And this is actually kind of, you know, just to touch on this some more, this is one thing that Linus Tech Tips brought up on his on his review of the product is okay on the Steam on the Steam Deck website they have these games have been vetted to work perfectly on Steam. These games, you know, you could play them depending on the settings may not be the best. These games you cannot play; they will not work. It will crash. 
And that's a great distinction. And they're supposed to be, you know, Steam Deck verified games. But then on the actual Steam Deck, and, you know, this could have been updated since he uploaded his video. And since I've seen the videos, could have been updated. But when you're on your actual Steam Deck, there isn't a first party, you know, verification system that says this game will 100% run on your system. This game will, you know, 70% run on your system and, you know, don't try and run this game on your system. And I think having that clear distinction between what your your gaming PC is capable of, I think having that clear distinction would help out a lot of people and would save the Steam Deck and Valve a lot of grief. But at least at the moment, you know, from what I saw, there isn't a first party. There's, you know, people have created websites of their own where they compile all the games that are available on the Steam Deck that people have tried to play on the Steam Deck, what works, what doesn't work. But that's a third-party source that should be built into the the gaming console, gaming computer. Um, But, you know, I'm sure they've seen that video. I'm sure they've gotten those reports from consumers. They've gotten that feedback. So hopefully that's something that they can fix fairly easily just to make the experience for people who aren't familiar with gaming PCs make their experience smoother. Yeah. I I think what you mentioned there is like the crux of the the kind of conundrum of the, the issue with the steam deck. And I'll, I'll try to, you know, slow myself down because I feel like I got to talk about the steam deck for hours, maybe even days. (laughs) So I'll make sure I don't do that here. We're not, we're not going for a a day long. (laughs) No, no. So I'll make sure I won't do that. But, um, you know, I think that's a, that's a really important distinction because Yes, the, uh, what you're mentioning there is there's a, a database called ProtonDB, which was specifically designed for for uh, Steam games on Linux to, you know, for people to communicate whether or not a game will work or not. And if it doesn't, what are some workarounds? Uh, and that's not something that's very visible in Steam right away. Uh, ProtonDB does a much better job of, of kind of illustrating that. Uh and yes, since since Linus has done his video, and I think even since he posted that video, um, there was a section that was labeled great on Steam Deck where you can kind of get your games. But I think the big issue is that a lot of people own tons of games on Steam. So I think the way this, this thing was first pitched is like, hey, you get this and you have your your games just there. You log into your account and all your games are there. And generally, when you go over your icons you will, of, of your games, you will see a little icon that says, hey, does this verified, is this verified to work on the Steam Deck or is it not? And if it is, you can download it and start playing. Um, so it's a very different ecosystem to something like the Switch or the PlayStation where you're getting that console and you're getting new games. The idea around the Steam Deck is you're getting the Steam Deck and you're playing the hundreds of games that you already own uh, because you bought them on a Steam sale for $4 and you never played it. And I think that's kind of a little bit of a difference there, but also the difference around PC gaming, right? There's no guarantee any game will run on your PC. They'll you know, list some specs that says, hey, these are your minimum specs and these are your maximum specs that we expect uh, for you to have to be able to run this game. But there's never a guarantee that this game will run great on your PC. You kind of just have to try it out and maybe look at some videos or get someone else's experience with the game and kind of tinker with it a bit. And this comes down to 
why I love the Steam Deck so much and why I think it's personally not just my favorite tech of this year, but probably my favorite tech of the decade. Uh, and this includes Apple M1, which I've been very kind of uh, happy about. We have long since gone from the days of you buy a piece of tech uh, or you get a, a new piece of tech and then you can tinker with it and you can do things with it and you can change it up and you can you can mess with it. You know, you can it doesn't have to be exactly what they tell you it's going to be. It can be whatever you want it to be. And I think this is something this is a methodology that Valve took from the very beginning. And it's honestly why I put in a pre-order for one. I honestly think I will never get it because I don't think there's any way they're going to be able to to make enough of these things to get to people. But there are things like the fact that this thing is designed to be repairable. You can take out the hard drive and swap in a new hard drive uh, or storage unit. It's not a hard drive. It's a SSD. You can take out the thumbsticks if they're drifting like they do on the Switch and put in new new sticks. And not only can you do that, but they will sell it directly to you. They are going through iFixit and eventually other retailers to sell parts directly to the consumer. So you don't have to send it to Valve or send it to an authorized repair dealer for you to get a new hard drive. No, you can just buy it and do it yourself. Uh, when it comes to the actual software, you can decide if you want to run a game at 60 frames per second or 30 frames per second. You can decide if you want the system to run at its full rated wattage or you can lower the wattage if you want more battery. You have full control over everything this thing can do. And to me, that's so cool because that's not no other product on the market right now lets you do that other than maybe a PC. Uh, and that's something I think I would love to see more of. And I really want to support this idea of repairability, having customers own their tech and be able to do with with it what they want. Um, but then on the other side, there is the affordability aspect of it which is something that blows my mind this thing sells for 399 usd for its base model there is literally no computer on the planet just computer i'm not even talking about gaming a laptop anything that has this much power for this price so it's it's one of those situations where one of the reasons why i ordered one is i kind of need to update my computer it's it's really old it's running a fourth gen core i5 uh and it makes editing videos very difficult and I've been pricing out hopefully trying to upgrade it and it's always coming close to like a thousand dollars or or fourteen hundred dollars or something like that even if you don't even need a GPU and when you compare that to like laptops and stuff like that on the market it's like well what is there that's really affordable this thing is affordable uh and that is pretty crazy to think of and you know you think of okay this is a 399 you know, gaming handheld PC, it probably can't run anything, right? It can't run Cyberpunk or it can't run uh, Elden Ring, but it can. And it goes down to the design of this thing is really, really smart. What they did is they put in, they made custom a custom APU from AMD using Zen 2 cores, the same kind of architecture as the PlayStation 5. Uh, and, you know, their new RDNA 2 uh, graphics uh, on an integrated chip but what they paired it with is a 720p screen, actually an 800p screen, just a little bit over 720p. A 16 by 10, 800p screen, which is so smart because essentially what you're doing is you're allowing this system to run games at a very, very low resolution, 
but because that screen is a native 720p, it will look great on it. And it's just a really great design. So fact, the fact is, Cyberpunk can run on this thing. Elden Ring can run on this thing. And, you know, games that you wouldn't expect to be able to run on a handheld are running on this at a solid 30 frames per second, and even in some cases, a solid 60 frames per second, which is just so mind-blowing to see. Now, the big caveat to that, and it goes back to what you were saying, the fact that you can run a game, a modern game, at 60 frames per second means that you will have no battery life. And that's not something that maybe, you know, is smart uh, to allow your your customers to do because a lot of the negative press around this thing is, hey, this battery sucks. But the fact is, I mean, if you were running a Switch game, for example, I have a Switch, I play a really cool game called Fast Remix. And if I play that game on it, it will destroy my battery because of the amount of power that it needs to actually run on the Switch. But most games don't do that. Most games run at 30 frames per second to save battery. Most games, and they don't give you the option to change that. This does give you the mm-hmm. option. So the unfortunate reality is if you do decide to change it, you're going to have some some pretty crappy battery life. But like I said, I'm going to stop talking about this thing now. I think it's really cool. <laughs> I hope eventually Just I get my hands on Yeah. <laughs> I hope eventually I get my hands on one. Uh, like I said, I have put it in order. They do say that I should get one sometime after Q2 of this year, which maybe might be around June or July. I personally don't think I will actually get it i i don't think they're going to be able to keep up with demand uh amd's you know fabs are running at capacity there are a bunch of people including playstation and xbox and asus and all these companies competing for the ability to get amd chips and yeah it's going to be very very difficult for them to actually get these things out there but if i do uh, i would love uh for you to get hands on with it and 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 see if you actually like it yeah, hopefully you get one. Hopefully. And we can get a review for the podcast, yeah. first podcast review. <laughs> and our final topic of the podcast, another kind of interesting new product coming from Carl Pay's company, Nothing. Uh, yeah, the Nothing company is apparently showing off prototypes of their new and first ever phone at, uh, I believe it's Mobile World Congress uh, going on right now. And apparently, you know, uh, Carl Pay is showing it off to executives and the rumors are that it might be getting shown to the public as early as next month, uh, which is April. So this could be really, really interesting to see if this actually happens, because uh, if anyone doesn't know, nothing is a company that was spun off uh, by Carl Pay uh, with some investors after he left OnePlus and you know, he started this new company. I believe he bought the remains of Essential and, uh, you know, started this this new kind of brand. And the first product they relieved was the Nothing Ear Ones, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And they were these earbuds similar to Apple's AirPods, but they had this really cool kind of aesthetic to it, uh, uh, like a transparent kind of look to it. I want to double check. I believe it was co-designed by Teenage Engineering, but I might be wrong about that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they released those products and people were kind of, you know, surprised when they first showed them off. They're like, well, Carl from Carl Pay, we expect a phone. He's the one 
who was the face and the voice behind the original flagship killer, Never Settle, One Plus One, One Plus Two, and the early days of One Plus that I personally loved so much. Uh, but, you know, they said, hey, we're going to start with this product. Earbuds are super uh, popular right now. It's a great way for us to make money. And then maybe you eventually will get to other products. Well, it, that day might be coming sooner than we think because it sounds like they are going to launch their first phone. And why it's important to think of the Nothing Ear ones is apparently it's going to take design aesthetic from those with the, you know, transparent elements and stuff like that and bring that over to the phone, which would be really interesting to see because we haven't really seen phones with crazy designs like that in a long time. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious to, to hear your thoughts. I know, uh, you've been a fan of some of the, the OnePlus phones in the past. And especially when Carl was a part of the company, we talked about Carl leaving, uh, on this podcast and we talked about nothing, uh, being formed. Are you at all interested in the future of nothing actually releasing a, an actual phone? I'm definitely interested. I'm definitely interested to see what they release in the future. I mean, you know, like you said, everyone expected at some point there's going to be a phone. This is Carl Pay we're talking about. The most interesting thing to me is, well, I mean, the transparent aspect is definitely going to be cool. Yeah. I thought the Nothing Ear 1s looked pretty cool. Um, you know, a definitely a different design aesthetic when it comes to other earbuds in the market, you know? So the fact that they're designing a phone that is transparent, and it sounds like the entire back of the phone is going to be transparent, which means that how they organize the phone on the inside is going to have to look nice too. Cause that's one thing that, you know, people found so remarkable about the nothing ear ones is that it's not easy to make earbuds look nice on the inside. Usually there's glue all over the place. There's wire all over the place. There's all kinds of, you know, cables and, soldering going on but they made the earbuds look nice not only from the outside but look nice on the inside too mm -hmm. so now the fact that this phone manufacturer is going to have to design a phone that one looks nice you know let's say if it has a skin on it or if it's sitting on, on you know in a case or something but also when you look at the back and you look at the actual inside insides of the phone it has to look nice too the most interesting thing to me is, as you mentioned, Carl Pei was responsible for the initial flagship killer. And kind of the joke is, you know, OnePlus started off as a flagship killer and then just became like every other flagship out there. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see which route they try and go with it. Does the first phone from nothing try and go the the route of the original OnePlus with, you know, a very budget-friendly phone with high-end flagship specs or do they just go straight to the flagship and say well you know we have teenage engineering and we have you know our sound done by these people and taking a lot of time and consideration and research and development to design a phone that's both both appeasing on the outside and on the inside so we're going to charge you flagship number i mean it could just be wishful thinking. I think they're going to go the budget-friendly route. But, I mean, if you were Carl Pay, what would you do? Let's say you're, you're coming out with a nothing phone in April. 
next month. Do you go the budget route and you try and, okay, a new flagship killer? Or do you go, hey, you know, I've been in this for a while. You know, this is my phone company. I want to make something that's going to be successful financially. That's, that's actually a really good question. You know, it makes me wonder what the thought process is behind the company of nothing, because the impression I got with the nothing ear ones, they seemed like they might've been a limited run kind of product. And it was very much focused on the aesthetic of the actual device, the case, you know, this, this transparent plastic, uh, really cool design, the teenage engineering partnership. To me, it made it seem like nothing wanted to be a supreme of tech kind of thing. Uh, so I would get the impression that maybe they would want to do something a little bit more expensive. I don't know if they'll go fully flagship. I think they might go into the kind of upper mid range, but I think what they will try to do is kind of drum up excitement around the idea of it potentially being a limited run or, uh, a more difficult device to get. Maybe it's like we start off with a limited run and then we'll, you know, go to a wider audience over time, or maybe we'll do drops uh, every quarter or so. But to me, that kind of idea that it seems like nothing wants to be a little bit more exclusive. I mean, look, even think of the name, like it's, it's not a very, very tech focused name. It's called nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and it was kind of made fun of a little bit when they first announced the name of the company. But I, I definitely think that this leads them more to going towards a more expensive route uh, because they're going to try to drum up excitement with this kind of exclusivity uh, marketing idea. I was just going to say with the Air Ones, though, like they were pretty reasonably priced. They're $99 earbuds and mm -hmm. they were lacking some features and they weren't as good as like AirPod Pros or, you know, the Samsung Galaxy Buds but still a very reasonably priced earbud. So I could, I see what you're saying with the limited run Supreme-esque, but Supreme is very expensive and very overpriced. Mm -hmm. I would say almost this, you know, limited run, but a reasonable price seems more like the original OnePlus because, you know, I'm sure you remember. Yeah there was an invite system that they had for it. And that's one way that they drummed up one that they drummed up attention, but then there was also a limited supply or a limited demand for it. Mm -hmm. You know, so they, they didn't have to think we have to ship a million units to every Best Buy in North America. It's okay. One person is going to be able to invite two people and those two people are going to invite two people. So it's going to be a somewhat, you know, slower growth to it. Yeah, I I think that's a really, really good point. And, and that's exactly what I was going to say is Carl's specialty is marketing. Like OnePlus was built out of nothing, which nothing. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it, it was kind of built out of thin air because of the excitement around this idea that the only way you can get it was through an invite system. And that wasn't done that way to make it seem exclusive it was done that way out of necessity because they could only make a certain amount of them. And, you know, they kind of needed to make sure that people who were going to get this were really excited about it. But they used that limitation as a marketing tool. 
And it's something that they continue to do up until I believe the the OnePlus 2 and the OnePlus X, you know, for a while until they could actually reach the volumes where that didn't need to be the case anymore. Mm. But yeah, it's it's crazy to think that, you know, that was a marketing push that was built out of a limitation. So yeah, you might be right. Maybe this could be something like the Nothing Year ones that's that's a little bit more on the affordable side, but maybe has a limited run because they can't make as many, or maybe is a more mid-range device spec-wise, uh, so that, you know, like you mentioned, the Nothing Year ones aren't really the best thing for the price, but at least they're affordable. Um, so yeah, maybe they might go that route and just make, you know, make it more of a marketing push as, as into that exclusivity as opposed to being about the price. Which, yeah, I, I could definitely see that too. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's, I don't think we'll ever see a phone launch at 299 again with as much flair as the OnePlus One did. Uh, and I don't think that's something that's even sustainable these days. You know, OnePlus did have to go to making flagships because, quite frankly, there isn't a lot of money in budget phones. Uh, the money mm-hmm. is in flagship phones where you could make really huge margins like Apple does. And I... At the end of the day, nothing does have investors that they need to make happy. Uh, so, yeah, I think the price of this is probably something that they're discussing in the boardrooms right now of like, what is what can we charge for this that doesn't seem ridiculous? Uh, but, yeah, I think you brought up a good point. It, it's it, there's a really good chance that this could potentially be a more budget oriented phone, kind of like the nothing year ones were. Do you think that they go after so not the flagship target? not the budget target. Do you think they go after the mid-range then like Google especially, right? Google is kind of sitting at a spot right now where they're offering a, not the most specced out phone, mm-hmm. but a very good phone. And especially when you look at the Pixel 6, not the 6 Pro, at a very reasonable price. Do we see it launch around that Pixel 6 price tag and they take aim specifically at Google's market share? Because, you know, to take over Apple and Samsung at the very top, that's going to be hard to do. To take over budget phones at the bottom, as you said, it's not very lucrative. That's going to be hard to do also. Mm -hmm. But that kind of Pixel 6 line is right in that sweet spot of, they can offer features, they can offer a good price, and Carl Pay's specialty being marketing, being, you know, drumming up attention for his companies, I think that would be right in his wheelhouse too. I think my bold prediction is we get it to launch in the same price as the Pixel 6, mm. which was $500? The $599? Because I believe the SE was $699. Okay, so we see it launching. Five ninety nine. Heard it here first. Coming out April eighteen. <laughs> I mean, that's that's definitely a, a potential for them to do that. I think there's a one hundred percent chance it's going to undercut any OnePlus phone, any recent OnePlus phone. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, and I I do think you're right. I think it might hit that that mid range uh, kind of price point. I think if it does, though, the very big difference between this and the initial launch of the OnePlus One. Uh, would be, I don't think they're going to focus on specs. I don't think we're going to hear things like Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 or, or and, you know, hot buzzwords like that. I think it's probably going to be a little bit more modest spec'd. 
but a lot of the conversation is going to be around the design and stuff like that. So even if it does come close to the Pixel and the Galaxy SE in terms of price, I don't know if it's necessarily going to compete with them in terms of specs. Uh, but I think that's okay. Uh, I think what they're going for, some, same with the Nothing Year Ones, is for a, an aesthetic uh, and a marketing push as opposed to this is going to be a utility like you know a Samsung phone or a Pixel phone is. Mm-hmm. Which is great because that makes it brings excitement to the, the cell phone market, which we just haven't seen in such a long time. Yeah. Do we get the Nothing Phone 1 running iOS? <laughs> shock the whole world (laughs) really apple announces the nothing phone one next week they scrap the se line and they change to the nothing line i mean apple could buy we've seen crazier things than that with microsoft buying activision maybe apple decides that's true we're gonna buy nothing (laughs) (laughs) yeah which would be a great headline by the way apple buys nothing tim yeah Tim Cook would love to bust that one out. We've decided to buy nothing. Give it to our customers. Yeah. Any uh, closing statements? Uh, no, I'm just, you know, super excited about the Steam Deck. Like I said, could talk about it for days and hours and, and weeks on end. But uh, yeah, I definitely recommend people check it out. Check out some reviews. This is a, a really, really cool device. And, you know, uh, I like I said, I think this might be one of the coolest things I've seen in, in close to 10 years. Nice. Well, take it easy, everyone in podcast land. Catch you in the next episode.